everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, and this is episode 57, The Beginning of Sorrows. And I just want to take a little bit of time to say that I hope everybody has had a good Christmas and that all of you will have a good year in 2022. I know we're in a time of calamities and, and things like that. So it's very important we understand what's going on in the world today and how we ought to act as Christians and how better to understand all of the birth pangs that I like to talk about that are just sort of starting to take place. And so the beginning of sorrows is directly connected to that as part of three what I would call overarching signs and I often talk about the two that follow uh, the chronological events of what Jesus talks about that comes in Matthew 24 32 and Mark 13 28 with the fig tree generation that all of these signs and the chronology of events will happen before this generation passes so there's a specific generation and it provides us Kind of when to look for those signs and I think that's probably when Israel as we understand them as visible Judah today that has Jerusalem as their capital as in their possession because most end time prophecy centers around Jerusalem being in place and in the hands of what I would call visible Judah versus the lost tribes of the northern empire of Israel that will uh, come about in the end time. We're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later. But that sort of gives us that generation when these events will happen. And so that's kind of a lot about the when. And then that's immediately followed by the days of Noah, which tells us how it sort of comes about in terms of how what it will be like. So kind of more like the what of uh, the, this end time generation where it's going to be like the days of Noah just as we get those words of the days of Noah that are used in 1 Peter 3.20 and 2 Peter 2.5 when it's talking about what happened with the crimes before the flood and with the giants and that we need to be aware of that as being the same time frame that is talked about in the days of Noah in Mark uh, 13 and Mark 24. Or I mean Luke uh, 17 and uh, Mark and Matthew 24 and as the days of Noah as it is described in as it is as it is described in Genesis 9:29, which was 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood so we get that for context of what these signs that Jesus is has provided before these passages of the days of Noah and the fig tree will be like. So it's important information for context. And the beginning of sorrows is the third one, and that is recorded in Mark 13, 8 and Matthew 24, 8. And it's very important we understand what these beginning of sorrows are and how they work fundamentally as an overarching sign that provides us not just how these calamities take place in terms of the timing and how we know the chronology is moving forward. But the term is so accurate in terms of the beginning of sorrows that I think you might be a little bit maybe surprised 
but happy, I think, to learn after this show as to how consistent and accurate the Bible is with its signs and its markers. And the sorrows is a significant time marker for the time of Jesus' coming that's going to help us understand the chronology that he lays out clearly but supports it 100%, just as all the other passages in the Bible said around what Jesus said support the same chronology. So place everything around what Jesus said, not vice versa, and things will start to crystallize just as the beginning of sorrows does. And so the sorrows that are listed, just to cover them in, in, in Matthew 24 and in Mark 13, are wars and rumors of wars. They are earthquakes, they are pestilence, and they are um, famine and they all kind of work together as calamities coming together in terms of what's going to happen and understanding how that rolls out and how they work together is deeply rooted within the timing of the definition of sorrows so we're going to dig into what that means and then back that up with other passages and provide you some context maybe that you haven't had or would have liked to have had more information on that you haven't received in the past. And that's kind of what the point is, is to get your curiosity up, to dig deeper and rely on what Jesus said and put all the passages around what Jesus said. So, sorrows is the Greek word 5604 Odin, just as the god Odin is. And I think that's just coincidental. But it's also connected as well and used with another word that's 5605 as opposed to 5604, and that's Odino. So same series of words comes numerically after in the Strong's listings. And what the definition for sorrows is means that it is a pang or a throw, as in the pain of childbirth and or a sharp attack and or a violent spasm. And what you're, we're going to learn is the application in prophetic allegory as Jesus has set out as the defining key to look back on for greater understanding is the pain of childbirth. And the definition in Strong's goes on to say that it's especially of childbirth. So although it has other meanings and we have to make sure in the passages that we are looking to define the Greek words or the Hebrew words that we're applying the right meaning for that application, that narrative, that verse, and that it doesn't contradict with other passages in the Bible and everything has to fit. So you have to be selective so that you don't manipulate scripture. Just let it flow. And of course, when it means especially in childbirth, you get a couple other terms that come into play and that's travai and birth pangs. And so when I talk about the birth pangs, these are like the pains as a woman going into childbirth. And there's a consistency to that that is, that is understood that those pains will get stronger and they will quicken the closer that we get to the end time. So that as we start to see pestilences roll out today, we're going to see that get stronger and more dangerous until the time of the seal judgments when we're going to see all of these 
sorrows working together, all of the birth pangs working together, just as we're starting to see them starting to shape up and they'll all, all start be working together and they'll be all happening sort of one after another at the same time as others. And it'll be just this ever increasing like waves that are coming at us of destruction until we get 25% destruction and then 33% destruction. And then the time of the wrath in the last three and a half years that will come with a completed Armageddon and would have been 100% destruction except that Jesus steps in. So with that laid down as the concept and what we're talking about in terms of what these sorrows are, as in birth pangs and getting that sort of clarified, understand then that these birth pangs work in conjunction with the fig tree generation and with the days of Noah. So more for the context of what's being talked about in terms of the rulers and the princes, and of this specific generation and that all of these things will be fulfilled within that generation and completed throughout and what will get confusing is, is as the birth pangs get stronger people will say this is the time of Armageddon or this is the time of the wrath or this is the time of the rapture they'll get it wrong because they are the same calamities repeating over and over and over into a birthing that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So just, again, so it'll lay the context down. And in the New Testament, we get support for what this prophetic allegory is so that we can understand it. So if we look at Acts 2.24, and we get uh, the pains of death that Jesus went through. So... Again, we're not going to apply necessarily a birth pangs, but understand that birth pangs are also pains, right? So when we talked about that as a possible meaning, is it pain or is it pangs? And this is the, the sort of increasing pain that Jesus gets that's similar, but it's not the birth pang. But, it's an, but it is, as we look as sorrows being translated, it's translated as, as pain there. So as Odin not as travai or not as sorrows, but as pain. So we understand that there's pain involved with that passage. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.3 and 5.9, we get some real prophetic context to this in the application as in sorrows. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, if you look it up, it essentially is talking about a time of peace and safety when destruction comes. And so we get a clear marker here that this is the time of Antichrist who comes to power after a false counterfeit Armageddon that, if you look chronologically, will happen in Revelation 20, uh, before the midpoint of the last seven years. And he takes credit for winning that war, so it's very close to the time of Antichrist promising peace and safety because he takes credit for that war just as Jesus comes at Armageddon. So he has to have a counterfeit Armageddon. And that Antichrist takes power at the midpoint of the last seven years. And then sudden destruction comes. That's going to be, you know, a little bit into Antichrist's reign when the wrath comes, the bowl wrath, the bowls of wrath. And the bowls of wrath will bring 100% destruction. So it's a completion of the birth pangs. And it's a time that is talked about in Thessalonians 5.3 as a time when Jesus is coming. So we're getting a marker 
of consistent prophetic allegory that Jesus is going to be coming somewhere around the midpoint of the last seven years. But as verse 9 says, before the wrath, before the days of the Lord that I've talked about in past past episodes. And probably he'll be coming before the year of the Lord's favor because Jesus is going to be directly involved with that. Um, so we're talking about a period that's probably just shortly after the midpoint, but before the wrath bowls are actually poured out that seem to start in the last year and maybe just before of the last seven years. And so we get chronology there that's sort of built in. And we need to understand that because it's when Jesus comes, no one is going to escape the wrath and the pain that comes thereafter. Okay, so there's a sense of finality of that. And that people who don't escape are essentially the people in the last year of the last seven years because we still have people who are being executed, being beheaded for not taking the mark of the beast or worshiping Antichrist or worshiping Satan. And that begins in the last three and a half years. And the woman is like in Thessalonians 5.3 is Trephi comes on a woman as comes upon as a woman with child. And we need to understand that word woman is the Greek word gastor, which means it's, it's G1064, a woman with child, someone who is pregnant. And this is referencing the woman in Revelation 12.1, who is pregnant, who's going to give a birth to... Uh, the child and I won't go through all of the allegory but again we've got a birthing that is happening at the midpoint that has to do with Israel and also has to do with the persecution of Judah persecution of Israel and persecution of those who are still here who still hold the testimony of Jesus as Revelation 12 pulls out so we get some markers there from the New Testament that we should be looking for how this fruition of the birth pangs come about um, throughout the last seven years, getting stronger as we go, and with the completion thereof of the wrath bowls where 100% would be destroyed. So now let's go back and understand what the Old Testament tells us about the beginning of sorrows, the birth pangs. And in the Old Testament, Soros comes from 2256, Hebrew word, uh, Chabel, I mean, and it essentially means pain and pangs. So it's in the same identical sort of definition in terms of how it needs to be applied for understanding the prophetic allegory in the Old Testament as it was used in the Greek. And you would expect that because Jesus chooses words perfectly. Because he is the spirit of prophecy. He is the word of God. And just as he chose the words accurately with the days of Noah and the fig tree generation, he chose the words accurately with the chronology with words like then, that comes from Greek tote, and then, thereafter, at that time. He presents the chronology. You just have to listen to what Jesus says, not what other people say that Jesus says. Be a Berean, be a contrarian, verify things for yourself. And we get these birth 
uh, pangs and sorrows that are used, like as in Isaiah 7, where it's pain, where it's not a prophetic allegory for the end time, and also an example of the birth pangs being used in terms of sorrows in the application and the wording that comes in Isaiah 26:17 and Jeremiah 22:23, and again in Hosea 13:13, 13, 13, where you have the pain and the and the tervai and the birth pangs coming on Ephraim in the time of, of their destruction. And so we get that as sort of a definition in terms of some passages in what the word means in Hebrew. So that when we see that term comes up in prophetic allegory in the Old Testament, we'll know perhaps how to apply that definition and not the other definitions that might come with uh, Chabel. And so in Jeremiah 13, 21, in 49.24, we get some application in terms of the allegory, not prophetic at this point, but just to show you the consistency of how it's used in terms of the punishment and the sorrows that overtake uh, like as in a woman. And that's consistent as what happens in Jose 13.13, like a woman in Travai. And again, as we start to move that understanding of those words that are going to be used in the Old Testament, we need to understand sorrows, travail, and birth pangs. And they're all going to be used in the English translations and go back to the similar type of meaning as sorrows, so that there is no misunderstanding. It's like built-in redundancy not to miss the connections, as well as the chronological timing that's going on. So in Isaiah 13, 8, you have pangs and sorrows that take hold as the travail of a woman. And when is this? This is the time of, of, <clears throat> of Babylon. This is the time of the destruction of Babylon when this starts to take hold, just as what we're talking about with the New Testament passage in the time of 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, and 9. And in Revelation 17, after Antichrist takes power, you have Antichrist receiving power from the Ten Kings, and then they destroy Babylon. So we have a midpoint shortly thereafter to structure that gives us a marker and a timing. And this is also identifying as the days of the Lord are coming. This is the time of the end. So we get that sort of marker as well. And I look at Isaiah 13, 8, where it's got um, the satyrs and all of these sort of beast-like creatures as being similar to Isaiah 34, but Isaiah 34 is in the day of the Lord. So this happens just before. And that's why you get the groupings of those very interesting creatures that are in there that I don't have time to talk about today, but maybe I'll go through it in a, in a show down the road. So we need to understand that this is giving us the when in terms of the chronology of when the birthing is going to be complete, when Jesus comes. And then what happens shortly after, and then when nobody escapes. And so when we look at the word travai in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew word yalad, and it means beget, birth, uh, bring forth children. And so we have another word that's travai that's going to be used 
alongside of sorrows, alongside of pangs in Old Testament prophecies about the end time that fits perfectly with the New Testament and perfectly with sorrows in terms of the meaning, the allegory, and, and the timing. And so in Jeremiah 13.21 and Isaiah 13.8, we have this coming about in the last three and a half years when when the travail of a woman is overtaken and again for definition if you if you're still not convinced about the allegory of this in terms of its original meaning and how it applies here if you go to Gen genesis 38 27 you understand that the time of the birth is the time of travail and the time of sorrows. So again, we get over and over and over, and there's many more passages, but I just want to make sure that people understand the time zone that we're talking about here. And now we're going to bring it uh, to a little bit more perfect sort of in understanding as what we talked about in terms of the destruction of Babylon and, and the day of the Lord. Because the day of the Lord is coming at the midpoint after the end of the seventh trumpet and the days of the seventh trumpet so there's an overlap of the trumpets into the last three and a half years of a short period of time and in jeremiah 50:43, this is the time of the destruction of the old testament accounting of revelation 17 of the destruction of babylon when the travai destruction of babylon um, overtakes Babylon. So we have the same allegory. And these are the pangs as in travai that are going on. And pangs is defined as, and it's the Hebrew word uh, chili, which means pangs and or the birth of, 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 of a child. And so again, we've got Jesus coming not only for rapture, but also at the time of, of, of uh, the destruction of Babylon. And he's going to come for second exodus at the time that will follow rapture in the time of the year of the Lord's favor. So you have Babylon's destruction, you have rapture, because people have to come out of Babylon as Revelation 18 talks about. And so there's that sort of last calling. And we get the destruction of Babylon, not only in Revelation 17 and 18, but we get its chronology that's in Revelation uh, 14 after the first fruits are taken out. And we get a summary of the last seven of the last three and a half years that begins with uh, the destruction of Babylon and the mark of the beast. So again, we get this timing that is is fitting absolutely perfectly. And so we understand Babylon destruction, we understand rapture is coming, and then there's second exodus. That is also sort of referenced in Revelation 12 that we talked about in terms of, of the woman and Judah escaping to the wilderness. There's, there's going to be a exodus of Israel to meet and, and visible Judah around the world, an exodus of awakened Israel, uh, an exodus of visible Judah around the world to meet those who, at the time of the abomination, at the midpoint of the last seven years, ran for safety uh, to the wilderness and are protected by God for three and a half years. So again, the timing is really, really important. 
And then Micah 4 9, as we look at bringing this together with 2nd Exodus, you have the birth pangs that overtake as a woman in Travai just before 2nd Exodus happens in Micah 5. And so that's, that Micah 4 is leading into Micah 5. And in Micah 5, 7 and Micah 2, 12 and 13, you are getting the breaker that comes, which is uh, Jesus who's frees the people from the year of the Lord's favor from the prisons. And he's going to lead them as Micah 5 and, and, and Micah 2, 12, 13 talk about with their king and their Lord at their head in the second time when Israel is lost and dispersed around the world and have have awakened and have accepted the one that they pierced. This includes Judah then in that second exodus because now it's time to bring them back into the covenant. And this is the timing of Ezekiel 37 with another event of a resurrection of Israel to go under the judgment. And you also have thereafter in about the teens in Ezekiel 37 in terms of the verses, you have the second exodus, just as in Ezekiel 39, after the Gog War, which happens just before the midpoint, you have the exodus being described after the Gog War. So everything's working in perfect harmony. And in, in 5.3, where we get a prophecy of the second exodus, it says that she that travaileth has brought forward the remnant that shall return. And so you get the, the beginning of sorrows coming into completion with Jesus' coming after Babylon is destroyed, after rapture, and then for second exodus. And I just can't imagine how one can sort of describe what it would have taken to try and layer all of this prophetic allegory and timing in, in in so many dispersed verses if it wasn't done intentionally and in perfection by the word of God as the word coming down through not only Jesus but the prophets who are living at all different periods and having all of the allegory and the timing always matching perfectly. But it begins with putting everything around what Jesus said first. And so the Old Testament is providing us additional time markers for the last three and a half years. That includes the destruction of Babylon. That includes the time of second Exodus and also for the day of the Lord, which is the, the wrath bowls where 100% destruction is coming about. So as we look forward as to how we see that happening today, we have obviously pestilence that's happening in ever increasing ways. There's more famine going on in the world than what most is reported, but it's still light, just as this is a light pestilence and it's going to get worse. And you've got more earthquakes going on and you've got wars and rumors of war that are just sort of starting up. And I think you're going to see the players come into play for the 10 Kings as you see China with Xi and Putin moving into place and will be probably causing some of these wars and rumors of wars that will bring on more pestilence and more famine moving forward and beginning to work together in terms of these birth pangs that are quickening and will get stronger as they go. So 
we may get over the hump of the current period, but then there's a more stronger pain coming and we need to be prepared for that. We need to be prepared to understand the chronology of how that comes together until we get the opening of the seals. And that is still only 25%. And the trumpets are 33%. And so those are the same calamities described in the seals and the trumpets that will ultimately complete with the wrath bowls when Jesus comes and nobody escapes. And so the completion of the beginning of the sorrows begins with Jesus' coming as he promised his disciples, as he gave them the chronology. It will come first after people have come out, including Judah, including Israel, and including Christians have come out of Babylon, and you'll have rapture. And then you will have the second exodus in the year of the Lord's favor. And then you will have the completion um, for the birth pain and birth pain allegory with Armageddon. And so I'm hoping I was able to explain this in a, in a manner that made sense to you. And if we understand the larger context to, to the allegory and we, we look at how other passages support that allegory, we can have a lot, a higher degree of assurance that we're getting the chronology correct, correct because if we are out there declaring calamities and or events that aren't ready to happen because they're just like the events that we're claiming it is, that they are, but they're lighter, they're not as strong, we will lose our credibility. And we need to get the timing right, and we need to be sure that we don't lose our credibility because this is the time that the world needs us the most, to be able to communicate this in a manner that will awaken people before it's too late, because tribulation will start well before the last three and a half years. We'll have tribulation in the first three and a half years, and probably, according to Revelation 2.9, for at least three years before. But even before that, we'll have lighter versions of the persecution. And so we need to understand that, and we need to react in a way that are going to have people rely on what we say, not turn away from what we say. And so that ends my discussion on the beginnings of sorrows. And until next time, may God bless you abundantly. And looking forward to being with you in a few weeks again. Thank you.